Until the eyes are painted, the souls of the dead wander around aimlessly, unable to find a way to heaven. And their journey gets easier if good enough utensils and food are also provided. Santhals believe so. And this is why we find prominent and disproportionately large eyes to be the hallmark of Santhal art. Tribal art, the voice of ancestors. If you like my podcast, Art Beyond Canvas, please press the bell icon and follow me. Saura tribes are one of the oldest in Indian subcontinent. They have been mentioned in Ramayana and Mahabharata. In Purana, they have been mentioned as Vindya Maulikas, wanderers of the Vindyas. But despite being of great antiquity, the existence of their script was unknown until the early 20th century. Today, the young generation of Sauras do not know their own script. Since the exposure to the formal education system, they learn Hindi or English, not their own, because there is not much of practical use of the same. Hardly anybody writes the same. Sauras look at the world to be populated with spirits of ancestors, gods and demons. They practice witchcraft and magic spells. They do everything to explore the magic world of nature being a part of it. Now let us consider a myth by Gund tribes. Once earth and sky fell madly in love. They went to God and asked for permission to marry. God was glad to hear about their love. God granted permission. A day was decided for the marriage ceremony. Every creature on earth was happy and geared up for the grand celebration coming up. Except one animal, the jackal. The jackal was upset, but he waited until the day of marriage came. When the ceremony was about to begin, the jackal yelled out, The world is coming to an end. Everyone will be destroyed. God has done a blunder by allowing this marriage. Everyone was puzzled. The celebration paused. God walked up to the jackal and asked, Why do you say such a horrible thing? The jackal replied, When the sky and the earth will unite with each other, every living creature on earth living in the space between them so far will be crushed to death. God realized the plunder and cancelled the marriage. Now imagine, it is an ancient folklore among the Gond tribes. It carries such a profound reality hidden in its womb. Perhaps this is valid even this day and will always hold true. A man and a woman, however deep their love for each other is, will crush the people between them if those people are not united as seamlessly with the couple. A marriage happens not between a man and a woman, but between two families or two communities. If the families and communities are not a seamless continuum as the couple is headed for, there will be injury, damage, suffering. Now looking at the three examples, we can draw the following inferences. 
painting for the santhals is integrated with their belief their faith their wishes hence what they paint is a sincere expression of the way they look at the world they live in as for the saura tribes life is a theater driven by spirits magic spells and gods all are elements of nature including themselves with such degree of suspense and challenge they cannot help but express but they do not enjoy a formal script of writing therefore sauras had to express through images necessarily saura paintings are intense expressions of the life they live just like the santhals more so because of the lack of clarity about the script As for Gond tribes it is needless to say that such profound folklore will lead to amazing expressions in paint India has close to a thousand tribes i have taken the example of just a few each of them enjoy their own outlook of the world they live in many have their own myth of origin of the universe and most of them have their unique way to express their feeling of fear hope love and happiness thanks to their living in isolation separated from the mainstream of the modern society their views and interpretations of the world may be less influenced by science or logic as we recount today but there is no denying of the fact that they do express with utmost sincerity on the walls of their houses or papers or clothes each tribal art has its own style but some particular aspect is consistent throughout the entire body of tribal arts we have in our disposal the peculiar simplification of objects and human forms most objects are depicted through standard geometric shapes maybe a triangle or a straight line or a rectangle and so on why i can only imagine the reason to be hidden behind the basic purpose of their art the main objective behind most tribal art is to enact a religious ritual the paintings on the walls or papers or clothes are done during harvest or childbirth or marriage ceremony ritual demands symbolic depiction not realistic depiction in fact the same thing is applicable for the ritualistic depiction of the mainstream gods and goddesses since the divine figures are beyond the realm of a human perception the depictions cannot be photorealistic even if we look at it from another angle we shall come to similar conclusion I mentioned in my earlier episodes that the Forbes and Cubists like Matisse or Picasso wanted to express the reality as close as possible to its objective identity but in doing so they found that reality often did not look like what we see hence the need of painting a mango exactly like what we see did not present the fact they focused at depicting the sweetness of the mango or the most prominent aspect of the mango this way they felt that simplification of the exterior image made more sense than focusing on its details we all know that the shapes and forms in many of picasso's cubist paintings are flat geometric shapes which was the direct influence of the african masks 
Hence, in a strange way, sincere attempt of expression may originate from different premises, but they necessarily meet each other at a crossroad. Now, I shall try to deal with a couple of very vital questions. The tribal arts, as explained, are part of the rituals. At times, the images are expected to hold some magic charm too. The artist painting them does it driven by intense faith and belief in some deity or the supernatural. But when an artist from the cities who is not a tribe paints in a similar style, the faith and belief are missing. What remains is the form and shape, more like the sculpture of a man but not the man. Do you still call it tribal art? For instance, I came across many artists claiming to be doing gond art or worldly art. Can we address such art pieces as gond or worldly? Or we can at most say that so and so artist paints in the style of gond or worldly. In this regard, I have invited artist Sonal Mantri. She is a veteran in various forms of tribal art and has carved out a unique style of her own, blending the styles of various art forms. Sonal, tell me your view about this matter. Can a non-tribe artist paint tribal art? Let's understand this. When we see a tribal settlement or a tribal hut and we see some depictions on that, it's not just mere art, okay? So it has got a ritualistic significance, it is related with their beliefs, some of it may be a part of decoration but most of it is uh, definitely related to the rituals. So for them, that is, this is not an art, it's a way of life for them and it is business as usual for them. Therefore, uh, we cannot call it an art for them, it's a way of life. However, when uh, you know uh, we or any other commercial artist paints the tribal art, it just remains an art. So therefore the significance of the tribal part of it is lost. So uh, calling it a tribal art as it is normally called uh, uh, just for the association with the given tribe uh, is an easy way. However, from a tribal point of view, it no longer remains their art because for them, um, like I told you, it has a different kind of uh, significance. So we need to understand this aspect. We cannot loosely call it tribal art. We need to respect uh, their traditions and the reason for them making these depictions and therefore we need to call it differently, maybe you know adaptations or inspired from whatever, but I don't think we should be calling them tribal arts. Great, your views will be highly appreciated by the listeners. You are into it deeply anyway. The other worrying aspect of tribal art is the consequence of its commercialization. These days, there are organizations buying their artworks in bulk and then selling the same to the corporates or the government. Moreover, the commercial value of the artworks is being tapped by using them as designs of various kinds of merchandise. Now, conservatives may protest that by doing so, the fundamental sense of such art pieces are being violated. Often there are market preferences for certain modifications or usage of certain color to suit the logo of some large multinational who is the client. Such forces are likely to corrupt the ancient originality of such artworks and in the end may even destroy the uniqueness of the tradition and style. But I feel this is natural. Several tribal arts have died an ignominious death over time 
because nobody knew about them outside the community and the community itself became extinct eventually. The art vanished. But this commercialization will help them breathe and at the same time probably induce change in their style. We can criticize, we may not like it, but this is how art evolved in this world through thousands of years. We may hate the market as artists, as creative souls, but all the time either market effected change in style or market remained starved for a new style until a dramatic shift happened through one of those change agents of art. All said and done, only change is constant in this world. Let me ask Sonal about her views in this matter of commercialization. So tribal arts are commercialized nowadays and used for home decor. So the basic purpose of that art is anyways lost, you know, uh, the significance of that art form. Uh, but uh, the main problem is not there. The main problem is that uh, the tribals are asked to alter their uh, form, you know, their motives, their color schemes to suit the decor of the customer. So then it no longer remains their art form, right? It becomes a customized art form for the requirement of the customer just like any other art. So where is the question of purity? I think, you know, the purity is completely lost. And there are two aspects in commercialization. The first aspect, like I told you, you know, where uh, the art form itself is uh, kind of uh, altered. Okay. And the second aspect is that, you know, uh, there are various uh, non-profit organizations, galleries and other people who kind of exploit these artisans in the name of helping them. We have already observed this many times that the artisans are paid peanuts. Whereas these people, they earn 200, 300 times, you know, what they have paid to the artisans. So it's in no way anyways helping them. The commercialization of art has become, uh, you know, more of taking advantage of these tribal people than helping them. So there's definitely no purity and also it's no ways helping them. It can only help the artisans in earning a livelihood if the artisans themselves come into the market and there is no middleman in between. And uh, which I think uh, our, you know, government organizations and other people should enable rather than trying to take advantage of. Uh... Well, Sonal, what you say it raises a very important question. The disproportionate imbalance between the earnings of the tribes and the people who buy and sell the artworks. Now, in my view, this is valid even in case of Sonal yourself. The art dealers who buy paintings from the emerging artists directly always try to maximize their profit by paying as little as possible to the artist. Tribes are no exception. In fact, it reminds me of an example available in public domain. In the year 1991, British artist Damien Hirst was commissioned an art piece by the famous advertising mogul Charles Sachi. The artist was paid 50,000 pounds and it caused a massive sensation. The Sun magazine carried a headline, 50,000 pounds for a fish without chips. <laughs> it was an unprecedented sum paid to an artist for a piece of art to be created. Damien Hurst managed to get a shark purchase from the Australian coast for 6,000 pounds. He paid 4,000 pounds to pack it and another 2,000 to ship it to London. Well, it led to the famous conceptual art, impossibility of death in the mind of someone leaving. 
A giant shark was seen floating in space and heading towards the viewer as he entered the wide space of the gallery. Actually, the shark floats in some clear liquid in a glass box. Needless to explain that the shark sends a wave of fear and awe to the visitor of the gallery, despite the fact that the visitor knows that the shark is a dead one. The vision of the gigantic shark floating mid-air is so imposing that the observer cannot imagine that the shark could be a dead fish. The reality of death looks absurd under the mountain load of enigma and terror. This was a profound piece of conceptual art, no doubt. In fact, many of Damien Hirst's works were, but the shocker came after 14 years when Charles Saatchi announced that he would sell the shark. The asking price was, guess, well, it was 12 million pounds. To cut the story short, he actually received something between 8 million to 12 million for the art piece. A hedge fund manager, Steve Cohen, whose annual earning was around half a billion pounds a year, bought it. Now, the question is, how much did Damien Hurst get? Well, I said already, 50,000 pounds only. The collector got 240 times of what the artist received. Unfair? Maybe. But this is reality. The scale differs between Damien Hurst and some artist who lives in a godforsaken village. But this gap is a fact, you like it or not. In fact, ironically, the most notorious art forgers in the history of mankind often felt highly frustrated and angry when they discovered that the fake of Matisse or Picasso or Modigliani they sold to some art dealer had later changed hands at magnum prices. When he himself wanted to buy it back, he could not afford. In the end, the world is not fair when it comes to profit and loss in terms of money. After all, money was a fiction created by mankind. Life on earth is wonderful when it comes to what nature brings on the platter of life. Man-made pleasures are naturally cornered by just a few because those are made essentially for selfish reasons. In the light of all that I said, just imagine the entire body of tribal art is done not for money but for reasons of faith, belief and love. This is why tribal arts across the globe is one of the purest forms of art and it will survive the grind of time be it in its original form or influenced by the commerce and style of the modern art. I do not think it matters much as long as it makes our lives better in this world.